Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. It's letting that music subside. We just wanted to get the full effect of our... uh opening theme. Well, I just got an emergency text on my phone right as we were getting started, and I had to look at it and respond. Is this going to be a legitimate emergency text or like a... uh... Oh, no, this is legitimate. Okay. This is from my wife. She sent me a picture with a question, were you needing this? And it is some uh, actual some resources that I laid out to bring with me and left laying on the kitchen table this morning. Oh. I had to reply and say, yes, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's Word of the Week. Before I get into the Word of the Week, I I need to go back to my disappointment. Okay. You know, I was looking up the word disappointment. I thought maybe I would find some really cool English or not known well word for disappointment. And uh, I I looked up synonyms for disappointment. You know what the first one was? To be disappointed. Frustration. Oh. Now that that ties into what we're going to be discussing today and some some things that I shared with you already earlier this morning. Mm-hmm. Disappointment, frustration, uh, those are key words. But here's here's what you do. It's what you do with the disappointment. You know, you can be disappointed. That's part of life. Life mm-hmm. brings disappointments. But what do we do with the disappointment? It says a lot about our attitude. says a lot about where our heart rests. Now, I, I'm being a little lighthearted with this one, but the truth is when we get to this study, I mean, we're going to address something very serious and very real. That there are actually there are actually are times in our life where we do get so burdened or so drained that we get in a valley of dis- disappointment or frustration or heaviness or whatever, and it's kind of hard to get out of it. Mm-hmm. But rewinding the tape, we're going to get a rewind sound effect for this. That was pretty good though. It was kind of sounded a little <laughs> bit like a Gungan warrior though. <laughs> a Gungan warrior. Yeah, you remember oh, from, oh, yeah, from yeah, episode yeah. one? Yeah. But anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, what you do with the disappointment. So when I found out Mayberry Days is already happening, and or is happening this weekend, now, I, I already have my, my annual camping plans at Pilot Mountain, mm-hmm. or for Mayberryans, Mount Pilot. So me and the family, we're going to be camping at Mount Pilot. My mom and dad were going to come join us on the Friday night, and we were all going to go to the parade Saturday morning. And that's where the confusion started because my dad was saying, you know, we're not sure how it's going to work out with, you know, your mom's on these crutches right now. And I didn't even know what he was talking about, to be honest with you. Never even heard about the foot problems. So I learned a lot. <laughs> when did mom get crutches? Yeah. About a week and a half ago, son. Yeah. But, uh, but I looked at it and I thought, well, you know what I could do? I could move the camping dates to another time, location, whatever, later down the road. And I could take that window of our fall break mm-hmm. and, and maybe do something that, Athena and I talked about when we were on the marriage retreat last week, which is, wouldn't it be nice if while we still are in a warm season, if we could bring the children to a, you know, to a little coastal town like Southport, Oak Island, mm-hmm. and actually enjoy some family time? We said, but man, there's no window to do it. Now the window may have opened up. Now it's there. I guarantee you one thing. Uh, my wife will go camping uh, with me, but she'd much prefer we go down to the beach and get a beach house somewhere or a condo or whatever you call those things yeah i was gonna say you could just uh switch your 
camping reservation to Carolina Beach State Park and join. Stay the, in one of the cabins. Well, no, they're all booked up. Oh, because they only have like six of them available there. I forgot you're going down there. So you could join the Cantrell crew. Yeah, I probably won't do that. Of course, I still got to get my reservation that's currently locked in at another state park switched over to there. But you're yeah. going to be at Carolina Beach State Park mm-hmm. camping. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, that's a thought. But yeah, she'd probably like to. If we're gonna go, she'd probably want to do the whole like find a something indoors. Or something. I, I can understand that. We're anyway. curious to see how this is gonna go with our familiar. But back to the word of the week. Back to the word of the week, because man, people probably have already turned us off. Now nah, they're with us because they're faithful. They're devoted. Exactly. Well, here's this week's word. I almost feel like we gotta play <laughs> music again. Here it is, and I gave it to you earlier. Didn't mean to. I let it slip. Oh. The word is muckety muck. Muckety muck. Yep. Okay. You've heard me use that before, haven't you? Uh, yes. Have you ever had any idea of what a muckety-muck is? No, I thought it was just like, you know, it's a real hullabal- thing. hullabaloo or something like that. Nope, it's a real thing. People Sounds are upset, people about, upset it. about it. <laughs> yeah, muckety-muck. Do you, you want to take a stab at what it means? So I need to put it in a sentence. Yes. So uh, here's a sentence. We're just waiting for the muckety-mucks and upper management to give us the green light before we get the project started. Kind of sounds like um, another word for ignoramuses. Hmm. Okay, I'll try again. All hail the muckety-muck, Jerry muttered under his breath as the CEO walked by. Overpaid idiot. <laughs> well, let's agree that it's a term you, it's not a term of endearment. Yeah, you don't want to be called a muckety-muck. No. Uh, where I first heard this word I, that I can remember was Dr. Ron Garris. He used to be the president of Rock of Ages. And sometimes when he was preaching, he would talk about all the muckety-mucks. And he would use it to talk about all the big big wheel, big wig preachers that think they're something, you know. Oh. Or people in the church that, you know, they think they're the muckety-mucks, you know, around yeah. here. It means an especially important, influential, and authoritative person, especially someone who is overbearingly or arrogantly so. So it at least recognizes their official position, but kind of puts that passive jab of, but they're not quite as big as what they want to tell everybody they are. Yeah, they're important, but not as important as they think they are. Yeah. They're kind of kind of a little bit arrogant, a little self-important. Self-absorbed. Yeah. So here's a little history on the word. You can say muck-a-muck, mucky-muck, or muckety-muck. They all describe someone important, especially someone who is self-important. The term is most often modified with the word high, as in high muckety-muck. You know, the high, a high up muckety-muck. Oh, not like, not high hello. <laughs> Mostly, it is a North American term derived from the Chinook word. You know Chinook? It's a Native American tribe, Chinook. Oh. The Chinook word muckamuck. In the Chinook language, muckamuck means to eat food. You know, the, the code. code. <laughs> eat food. Well, we could have had a great sound effect right there. (laughs) Someone who has a great deal of food is rich and presumably holds high status in the tribe and is called hayumakamuk, which means has plenty of food to eat. First used as a written word around the middle of the 19th century, the idea filtered into the English language as hayumakamuk around 1912. I'm seeing a lot of connections and correlations that that are going because, you know, at one point in time it would have been a a sign of wealth and affluence to be very overweight because, hey, you're not in abject poverty and starving to death. Yeah. <laughs> you must be somebody. 
Uh, this country's full of high muckamucks around. <laughs> Bunch of muckety mucks <laughs> running around. And therein lies the rub. <laughs> well, on that note. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. Well, we've clowned around long enough for a Wednesday. It's time to get serious. I want to get into the scriptures, and I was thinking of how to introduce the topic. And I shared with you some of the unusually difficult experiences that I have been having lately personally uh, in, a, in a spiritual way and at the soul level and what I have come to just recognize because I've been using the term heaviness and the reason is is because I found that over the last few days as I, I was I was praying about this that's the word that I just kept using to say Lord my soul is just so heavy and I mean that that could generate a lot of different thoughts what does that mean to be heavy and I guess the best way to describe that is to say it the opposite way. Is I haven't felt very light at all. Mm-hmm. I do think a lot about what Jesus said. You know that if that we can come to Him because you know you either uh, weary, and weary heavy and heavy laden. laden, you've got the the heavy burden on your heart. He says, you know, I will give you rest. And so there's definitely a recognition that that is something that happens in our life. And you know, I'm I'm someone who reads in the Psalms regularly. I'm sure many of us do. And you know, you read so much in the Psalms about battling that spirit of depression or being cast down, and we talk about it a lot because it is a reality. But sometimes it comes to us in a, uh, in, a, in, a in a deeper personal way, and I have found that there, there are seasons where it does get really heavy. Probably for me, and the reason that I'm talking about this now is because I, I feel like that I have been in the season and I don't even know how long yet. I don't even know how to put a, like a length of time on it or, or whatever. But it, it's probably one of the most heaviest seasons, but an unusually so, an unusual way in which it has come out. And by that I mean it's not been sustained like day after day after day after day. It's been, especially in the last few days, it's been some, some whole days of being cast down and heavy in my soul. But then coming out of it, in the end, so just as an example, over the weekend, you know, you know, going all day on a Saturday, just in that state of heaviness, and then by Saturday afternoon and, and evening, knowing that I needed God's help and deliverance, spending that time waiting on the Lord, praying, opening the Bible and reading Scripture, and then finding myself rising out of it, enjoying the evening, and then Sunday rolls around, and I have just a really great Sunday. I have what I need to do what I need to do and to do ministry and all that. And then by Sunday night, it starts coming back in. All day Monday, just back in that cast-down state. Took me all the way till late in the afternoon to find my way out of that. And so I think for me what's happened is I've recognized something that I maybe didn't even want to acknowledge, that that at some deep level of my soul, there actually is a reality to this thing called depletion mm-hmm. of just being empty, of just not having anything else to draw from. And you just get down to the bottom and you just, because as I told you, my experience on Monday of this, this week was one in which I didn't even know how I felt and I couldn't put into words my thoughts. I couldn't string thoughts together about it. There was no word to describe the emotion, and as I again, as I prayed over it, even the following morning, it's that word heaviness. So that all led me to a question of, 
of a sense of being in the valley, and, and we just call it a valley of heaviness, knowing you don't want to stay there, not sure how to get out of it, and, and what does it mean to wait on God when you're in those, those types of valleys? So that's the question that I wanted to deal with or talk about today and push into scripturally and see if we could dig out some answers. And I've, I've made a few notes over these days that, that I think are helpful and had some experiences that I think I can share about that. I think it's definitely a great question because it's another one of those we've heard the phraseology and we're familiar with it. But it, it's, I think it's just safe to say it's a religious piece of vernacular. Hey, brother, just you just wait on the Lord. Mm-hmm. He will strengthen thy heart. Wait on the Lord. Okay, well, what does that mean? Hey, when you can't, God can. Okay, but what what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Hey, when you can't track Him, trust Him. And it's it's like we've got all, it's, and it's all true. Yeah, but but it's just like we we've got all of this phraseology. It's like but. But yes, what does it actually mean? Because it is so hard when you're in the valley, when you're in the place where everything on the inside of you is screaming, I've got to do something. i got to get out of this place. i I got to do something. Lord, what do I need to do? Wait on the Lord. You mean I'm supposed to literally just sit here and, and just do nothing and wait for a miracle to happen? I, it's got to be something more than that. But... You ask, I think if you ask the average person, even the average Christian, what does it mean to wait on the Lord, they're going to kind of get the same answer of, I'm, I'm not really sure. But Well, I'll tell you, I th- so many things right there I could say, and we, we're going to talk about what it means to wait on the Lord or what my experience has been. And all the things that are cliche are true, but what is the what is the meat behind it? And then maybe even a fair question is, are all the things that we say always true? So I'm going to say something about that in just a moment. But before I do that, I wanted to mention, I think a lot of times what we do because we don't have the answer when we get into those really dark places or deep places, those valleys, what we do is we just we just run. Mm-hmm. We run to whatever distracts us. Or whatever soothes us. Um, I heard a man say the other day, the world is distraction and sedation. And that man, that is insightful. It's simple, yeah. but it's insightful. And when you're going through a valley of discouragement, depression, grief, whatever wherever the troubles are coming from, because this can come from all different types of places. And honestly, I think when you get totally depleted and you're in that valley, I think it's because, I know in my experience, it's because you've been in so many battles for so long. And yes, as as Proverbs 24 says, if thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And I've had to I've had to own that verse here lately and pray with that verse. I, I did it uh, Monday afternoon. Lord, I own it. My strength is small. I, I have to have you. I do not have the strength. This adversity is killing me. This adversity is causing me to faint. But what we will do, I think, a lot of times is rather than wait on the Lord and figure out what that means, we just run from the valley and we go to the distraction or the sedation. I even said this to my wife the other day. I think we were driving home from the weekend. You know, we were at the event together, and 
I told you this, you know, we didn't even talk for, I mean, is it all right if I just go ahead and acknowledge that? Now, it wasn't her fault. What, what wasn't something between us? I had nothing to say. This is unusual for me. I can be quiet for a long, I can be silent for days if I'm around nobody and be just fine. But I, I talk and communicate a lot with people when I'm with them. I had nothing to say. But one of the things I finally, when I opened up and we started talking, I said, this is why sometimes I just, I, this is why going to a, not going to the movies, but turning to a movie, like put a movie in or put Andy Griffith in. I don't care. But for that hour or two hours, I literally, I just shut everything else off. I don't think of, I don't have to think. I don't have to deal with anything. And it is escape. Mm-hmm. It is sometimes distraction sedation. It's not always the healthiest thing for me if if my motive is I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm bailing. Yeah. That's a bad motive. Now, that's that's different than just taking a knee and getting some refreshment. Sure. So let me ask this because I had this thought go through my mind. What you just described with you know the movie, Andy, different things like that, definitely sounds a lot like sedation you know it's just it's just numbing the pain and you know it's not taking it away it's not dealing with the problem with distraction though and and i think i know who made the the quote that you're referencing um but regardless of whatever the full context that was is it possible to be distracted by turning your attention to a different fight other than the one that you need to be engaged in in the valley and, and I guess what I think of is my grandpa used to tell me all the time, like if I stub my toe or bump my elbow on something, I'd be like, oh, that hurt. And he would always say, come over here and I'll smack you upside the head and you'll forget, forget about, about the pain. Yeah. And, and and what it does is it... it Thanks, dis- Grandpa. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, the whole premise, though, was I'll distract you from that pain and get you focused on something else. Doesn't take away the pain in the foot or deal with whatever the issue is, but now my attention is distracted on fighting something else and really never getting the resolution to what the initial problem was as well. And I think that's one thing the world does a great job of, is distracting us with all of these other fights and all of these other causes to be focused on, then also coupled with the sedation of the mind-numbing that we can do all of this other stuff and really miss what is needing to be done on the inside of, no, this is where I need to be waiting on the Lord. This is what I need to be engaged in because here is the core of the problem. Yeah, and you can even go to very dangerous things like taking that analogy, Grandpa saying things like that, and I think we've all heard those things, but people actually do real bodily harmful things Mm -hmm. to distract themselves from pain and suffering. And it... It has that temporary effect of making this hurt so that I forget. Right. Uh, you know, I remember my days as an Army chaplain. This was something that, that we talked about a lot and we saw a lot. Soldiers doing things. Now, there's the self-medicating stuff with drugs and alcohol. There's the, the less taboo of food and things like that that people comfort themselves with. But all of it can have a really serious you know, harmful effect on your body. But if it has a harmful effect on your body, it also has a harmful effect on your soul. Sure. So what we've just described are ways not to deal with being in the valley. One thing you find in the Bible that is consistent with valleys, I I was trying to compare, I, I thought when I when I was putting my word to it, and I was even thinking, Lord, it's just heaviness. It's a, it's, it feels like I am in this thick fog 
that weighs heavy on me and I can't see clearly and it's just over these overcast dark clouds. And I thought, was well, there a valley in the Bible that would correlate with the way mine feels? And I, and I go back to the Valley of Baca. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the Valley of Weeping. I don't know that it feels exactly the same as that because, man, I mean, you know, weeping is some deep grief. But it at least there's some at least some correlation there, because it, it's a valley of difficult times and darkness and and pain. But whether it's the valley of Baca or the valley of the shadow of death or whatever, the valley of of uh, Kidron. What consistently you see is that we walk through the valleys. Mm-hmm. We do not run through them. You know, Psalm eighty four says, "We pass through the valley of Baca. We make it a well." You, now you're not. You can't hurry through a valley and turn it that dry place into a well for somebody else. You have to go through it slowly. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't run. Now we want to run. There's a sense of panic, or there's a sense of where's the escape hatch? I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this relationship. I need to get out of this, you know, this work that I'm in. I need to get out of this problem. Just let me. Where's the escape hatch so I can get out of this? But God wants to lead us through it. So that brings us to the question then: How do we biblically deal with this? Psalm 22, I was led to this passage the other day, uh, Monday Monday afternoon, and, and man, it was f- so helpful. Um, Psalm 22, David says this in verse number 7, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. He says, you know, I called to God in my distress, in my difficult type place. And it wasn't just a, this isn't, matter of fact, David isn't using hyperbole here. I, I think if anything, he's using whatever the opposite of hyperbole is. He's Because when I read that, you could read that. If you're in a happy place, you read that and you say, yeah, man, I know what distress is. Man, I was so distressed at the grocery store today when they didn't have my favorite chips. Yeah. Right? That's not what David is experiencing. The introduction of this in the, ver- in the first verse, it says that David wrote this song in the day the Lord delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Now, you just got to have a little bit of Bible knowledge to know that that represents years of David's life. And this was such a strong song, it's recorded here. And the same song, almost verbatim, is recorded in the Psalms as Psalm 18. And there is so much here uh, that expresses what David was going through. Second Samuel 22 and Psalm 18. And, and what, is the, what is God's response to this? Verse 17 uh, through verse 22. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. See, listen to the phraseology there. If you've been in the valley, if you've been in this place, these words resonate with you. The many waters, this sense of just being crushed by the weight of suffoc- the suffocation. I can't breathe in this. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me. For they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. The promise there that David had discovered, the reality, the truth, that even in that place, God was the one consistency that he could rely on. God would be the strength. He's already started the whole song out with the Lord's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my refuge, my shield. He says, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The language there... I called on God in my distress. The word distress literally means cramped, tight, no wiggle room spot. To be in such a place that you can't move. You're literally hemmed in. 
And his, he says, when I called on God from that place, he brought me forth also into a large place. <laughs> See, that is a wonderful promise that when you are in these places, these valleys, you need this. He says, he delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. For I kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. He basically says, God reached down, he took hold of me, he rescued me, he brought me out. Now, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. How much time passes in our life between verse 7 and verse 17? How much time passes from when we get in that place to the verse 7 where we call out in distress? There's no, there's no time hack on that. I think that's a great thing to point out because I know I've been guilty of reading, you know, this passage and others. And, you know, I can basically read the entire life of King David in the span of a few hours, mm -hmm. you know, just and kind of have the whole summary of, of David's life. And do that and kind of become numb to the fact that we're talking about, just from what we have in Scripture, at least 40 years of his journey with the Lord. His journey in combating his own flesh and his own disappointments and discouragements and weaknesses. And we can read it, have the whole nutshell in a couple of hours and think, okay, God, how long, are, when am I going to get the kind of deliverance that David had? Well, you know, maybe it's going to take a few years. Maybe it's going to take a few months. Maybe it's going to take a length of time. Like, we can't rush it, hence the waiting on the Lord. And the when I hear you say, maybe it's going to take a few years, and I know what I have felt in that valley, there's a part of me that screams, no way. There's no way. If it's going to take years, I'm not going to make it. And I think there's a reality that has to be addressed there that what 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 we're talking about is not having a bad day. We're talking about a valley of heaviness that you cannot pass through in a day. And while you may not, the, here's the good news, you, you don't have to stay cast down the whole time. I mean, that's one of the things that I think I am learning that I would offer in counsel to someone is that, look, even if you can't get out of the valley completely, and it may last weeks, months, Years, and I really hope that's the exception for people, but it doesn't mean that every day is going to be terrible. I have seen God already give me some renewal and some strength when I needed it. It doesn't mean that I'm out of the valley yet. Mm -hmm. What I do recognize is that I am walking on the edge of that cast-down pit place, if you want to call it that. Like even in the valley, there's, you know, you might think, well, the valley's the low point, but there can be some pits in the valley. Now, we're out of time. We can't do all this right now today because I need to get in there and work on this meeting I got coming up. But we need to. That's fine. So we're going to have to stop right there on today's edition of this. But we have so much more to share. Uh, in, in, in it's coming up in the next couple of days. And as a matter of fact, just a behind-the-scenes look, we actually have recorded the whole conversation. And now we're going to come back in and close it out for today. Tomorrow we'll join back in where we left off. And we'll do this throughout the next few days and, and share all these thoughts with you. So we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions 
as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.